When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Man, it feels so good to win, especially when you weren't expecting to win. And I didn't, I thought we could win. I didn't think we would win. I thought Auburn Jesus would be resurrected there late in the ballgame and find a way, uh, you know, to just rip it away from us. But, man, these players and coaches at Mississippi State simply just won't quit. Simply just won't quit. How many Bulldog teams do you know in your lifetime that would get down like that in the first half and just kind of mail it in in the second half? Most of them. We've never had a comeback like that. You know, we had the big one, you know, we were down, what, 34 to 14, I guess, against Louisiana Tech. Came back to 135-34. We thought we'd never see something like that again. And this is even bigger and better. A bigger comeback against a better opponent on the road at a place that's been very difficult for us to win over the years. So, yeah, we're going to celebrate this for a while. That's the thing you think about, too, is, you know, we had the big one over A&M, and then we had the bye week, or open date, we should say. We had a chance to kind of enjoy it. You know, listen, nobody's all stressed and anxious about Tennessee State, and all due respect to those guys. They just don't have the players. So, yeah, we're going to let this linger a little bit. You know, your players and coaches won't. But I, I, I feel confident in saying this. There will be some people at the SEAL football complex this week that are working on Ole Miss. May not be your on-the-field coaches, probably some QC guys and GAs and things like that. There are going to be people breaking down film, looking for tendencies, that sort of stuff. This well, You better believe it. And you know what, Ole Miss, they're going to be doing the same thing. But to be fair, I would much rather be playing Tennessee State than Vanderbilt. Not that Vanderbilt is great by any stretch of the imagination. Ole Miss will win that game and probably win it handily. But they still got some SEC players. You know, my hope is when you look at the whole Vanderbilt-Ole Miss thing – there's no chance Vandy wins this game in my mind. But you want Ole Miss to have to play, you know, deep into the fourth quarter, right? I mean, you, you, you know, we hope to be able to put this game away for us maybe early in the third quarter and be able to, you know, get some guys off the field, save ourselves some time and, and wear and tear. That's the hope anyway. The hope that we can be in that position. Before we move in full board of football, we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Mississippi State basketball. How about that, man? The Mississippi State Athletics Department as a whole goes undefeated last week. Volleyball, undefeated. They take two from number 25, Tennessee. Not sure when the rankings come out for volleyball, but it's a shame that the the Bulldogs are not ranked. I don't know who all is involved in that process, but nobody in, in the country is hotter than them unless they're number one. It's kind of a shame. Mississippi State men's basketball wins over Montana, 86-49. We didn't expect that to be much of a contest. I mean, but, you know, we're still not 100%. Rocket Watts expected to rejoin the team uh, to be cleared to play on Wednesday against Detroit Mercy. So that'll be interesting. 
and then Tolu probably a week or so later. And there, there hasn't been a firm time frame released about that. But um, we're not even full strength yet and playing pretty well. Held both opponents to 49 points. 75-49 and then 86-49. Pretty good numbers, to say the least. And again, I still think we'll be 5-0 and or 4-0, and excuse me, when we get ready to go to the Bahamas. We've got Detroit Mercy on Wednesday, Moorhead State on Sunday, and then we're on the road playing on Thanksgiving. It's a little Bulldog hoops for your Thanksgiving, for those of you that um, maybe aren't interested in football. I suspect all of you are for listening to this show. Uh, Garrison Brooks right now, 18 points, leads the team. You know, pretty good, pretty good uh, little run here as of late to get the start, we hope. And again, I, this is going to be a good team. I really believe that. I think most of you do too. Not, I'm not, I'm not feeling 96 though. I would love that to happen, but I'm not, I'm not, not feeling it. Not feeling it. All right, looking at the women's side of things, and uh, listen, the ladies are three and zero. And you know, we had uh, two games in three days over the weekend. This South Dakota State team expected to win their league. They, this is a good women's basketball program. That's a big win for state. You know, and granted, it's not Stanford or UConn or South Carolina. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that. But this is a tournament team, and we win 76-71. Played yesterday without Rakia Jackson, win 86-63. Kind of a, you know, Robbie was there, and I kind of, I, I keep up with non-conference basketball on Twitter, kind of keeping up with Robbie, and I'll watch it sometimes on the app when I have some time, but. Um, Kind of a lackluster first half. And I think a lot of that, too, is you're so used to Rakia Jackson being there. It's like, well, whenever in doubt, get the ball to Rakia. She'll go make something happen. So I think in many respects, it's a learning opportunity for the rest of the team. And they, and they classified Rakia Jackson as a day of rest yesterday. Just more of a precaution. Not expect her to be out. Now, they'll be back in action. They get some time off here. And then they'll be back uh, a week from today. Monday against Bethune-Cookman. So, pretty good start to them. And, of course, uh, your Bulldogs men's side back in action on Wednesday, 7 p.m. in Starkville. And then the Sunday game is uh, 2 p.m. So, if you're coming to town for Tennessee State, which is 11 a.m. kick, maybe spend the night with us and have dinner with us and then come to basketball on Sunday. That'd be great. And, listen, I've read with great interest some people, you know, talking about attendance. I thought the Bulldogs – Fans showed up pretty well for the opener. And it's just not going to be – we're not going to have people hanging from the rafters, you know, maybe until we get into SEC play. And I know there's some that say, well, you know, we just we just need you you guys to commit. Man, there's just so much competition for your entertainment dollar these days. It's very difficult. I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody because we need big crowds, and especially when we get into SEC play. We're going to need you guys here. Make arrangements to be here. We need you here. I know it's easier to sit on the couch – Get up and go to the bathroom whenever you want. There's no lines for the restroom at home, right? But you don't get those great jalapenos on your nachos. Even if you got them at your house, it's just different. I mean, the nachos with cheese and jalapenos at the hump, it's just different than what you can make yourself. It just is. Not to mention, you need to be part of this. Come help support the team. And so I encourage you guys uh, to do that. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I had lunch there last week. I'll be back there again this week one day. I love going in there. It's, it's a great location. 
it's close and convenient to campus. So, like, if I have business on campus, I can go by and eat lunch and then leave and go take care of stuff, whether it be a press conference or an interview or anything like that. I can get all that stuff handled, conveniently located. You know what? You can even park on campus some days on game day and just walk back and forth. We all need those extra steps. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will, too. Many of you already do. I get your tweets. Or you send me messages and say, hey, Steve, I went to Bulldog Burger Company and I loved it. My friend Jason Dice from Meridian had some business up in Starkville. Went to Bulldog Burger Company and had to message me to tell me how much he enjoyed the meal. You will, too. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go check them out. Have the spring rolls for your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. And then maybe invest in that chocolate shake to go, right? Great hamburgers, great food, great price. I had the BLT salad grilled because I had eaten like kind of bad over the weekend last week. And so, you know, I try to get back on track a little bit and uh, have that BLT grilled salad. And I've yet, to, I've yet to finish one. It's a very substantial portion. That's one of the things that I appreciate the most about Bulldog Burger Company is I get my money's worth when I go in there. A lot of other people charging the same price, giving you less product. Not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk about this wonderful win over Auburn. One of the first things I'll tell you, I like making the trip to Auburn. I think the people of Auburn are pretty cool. And, yeah, I, okay, I, the whole Cam Newton thing is cool. I, I get it. But the reality of it is I've moved on from that. The very, very, very first time I went to Auburn, you know, I, I stopped by an ATM right there off campus, and uh, there was, like, three people in line. And then, like, the dude's like, hey, you guys go ahead. Welcome to Auburn. I'm like, what is happening? What? What? Where am I? Am I being kidnapped? Is this a setup? No, nah, it wasn't the case at all. Auburn's kind of like our cousins from across the state line. They are. They're a lot like us. You know, the difference is, I guess, that, you know, they've had to deal with, uh, you know, the greatest dynasty, I guess, in college football history, and we've had to deal with the greatest delusions within our state, having to deal with Ole Miss people. I'd much rather deal with Ole Miss people than Alabama. And you say, well, at least Alabama people have something to brag about. Yeah, it's true, but it doesn't stop Ole Miss from, from bragging, the Vanderbilt of the West. So, anyway, let's take a look at this game. If you weren't there, I don't know that you can fully appreciate the Auburn crowd, especially the way they begin to hang on every play later in the ball game. I mean, it's like you can tell so much from TV, but being there, and those of you that were there, I'm sure you'll agree with me, it was quite the emotional journey with the Auburn crowd. I mean, it really was. They were really into the ball game until they weren't. And then they, then they turn on the officials. But uh, let's look at this Auburn game. And uh, Will Rogers, absolutely, absolutely playing outstanding. I mean, just absolutely playing outstanding. I don't think there's any question about it. You know, it's like we had talked on this show many times. People were like, oh, we need to let Levertich play. Or we need, and listen, that, that's no slide at, at Levertich. I mean, he had his chance to compete. Will Rogers won the job. Will's the guy. He is. And I think now some of our fans are kind of beginning to realize what Mike Leach saw and Will, and Will Rogers. He's growing up. He's getting better. People do that. And it's like sometimes we see a guy as a friend, oh, he's never going to make it. He's a bust. I mean, see six games in his career, right? Well, Will Rogers is playing outstanding football, absolutely outstanding football. So Mississippi State wins a toss and defers. I, I appreciate that. I would have done that too. I would do that more times than not. 
you know, sometimes there's some games that kind of dictate the defense may be playing exceptionally well, and you think, you know what? Let's defer because uh, if we kick here, we got a chance to get a good field position and maybe go up early. In games that I expect to be low scoring, you know, I always want that option, right? But I always figured I'm going to walk the ball first out of the half no matter what happens. And if I can go two for one and State nearly did, it's pretty important. All right, so we kick it, and uh, they fumbled the football. Many of you may have missed that. They did. They fumbled the football on the opening uh, kickoff. We just couldn't get on it. Nehemiah Pritchett gets back on his own fumble. I believe it was Jed Johnson with the, uh, the forced fumble there. And uh, this next segment of the show, I guess, in many respects, is going to kind of be uh, painful. Complete to Shedrick Jackson for 48. Emmanuel Forbes slipped on the play coming out of the route, you know, and uh, Shedrick Jackson beat him. But he slipped. That's why he's not – you think, oh, my gosh, they're running wide open. He slipped. They don't show it on the TV broadcast. I've watched the game three times. I'm going back and watch. Of course, I was there live. But um, that's what happened. Then they go to John Samuel Schenker, and it's interesting how much shorter these tight end out routes got over the course of the game. And maybe it's just kind of dictated by our coverage. But, um, you know, they hit the first one for nine down to the MSU 10. Then Tank Bigsby, who I like a lot, who did not have a good game against Mississippi State. We did, we did a pretty good job against him. They run it three consecutive times to Bigsby. He gets one, four, and five. So you get 10 yards, including the touchdown. And now it's seven, nothing Auburn. We're thinking, okay, we give up a big play there. We give up an explosive, and we pay for it. It's, it's only fair, right? Then we're incomplete to Rara. We, we decided to throw the fade there. Pritchett does a good job in coverage. Probably one of the only highlights he had defensively. But I like the fact that we're being aggressive. We're going to take a shot here, especially – and everybody's – it's so interesting, too. Like, people think, oh, you know, Auburn dropped eight most of the ball game. No, they didn't. They absolutely did not. They blitzed and 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 played a ton of man coverage. And when they did, Will Rogers lit them up. So we come out here and we let them know we're going to take a shot. Doesn't work out. They make the play. We swing it out to Jaquavius Marks, who catches it, I don't know, five, six yards short of the stick, and he runs through like two guy, two dudes and gets a first down. You know, nowadays, it's like when we run these little swing out routes out to Jaquavius Marks, you, you, you better make sure your chin strap is buckled because he is coming. We'll complete to Christian Ford for five on first and ten, puts, it, puts us out there near midfield. We go back to Woody for four. Then we're incomplete to Makai Polk, and it's um, – you know, it's a breakup. You know, Donovan Kaufman there. Kind of a bang-bang play. The Auburn secondary had a lot to say. They did. But uh, we like to go for it on fourth down. And Mike Leach said we would. We're complete to Jaden Wally for six yards to the Auburn 39. Incomplete to Ra-Ra. Smoke Monday actually makes a really good play here. That They called it targeting. He got up and immediately shaking his head. He knew better. This is a textbook defensive play. Smoke Monday, not the best guy in coverage, but a great athlete. And he did a good job, and I thought Jordan Rogers did a good job kind of explaining you, kind of get your head to the side. And there's sometimes when I watch a ball game and Jordan Rogers is commentating it, and it's like he, like I'm watching Mississippi State and Auburn, and he's commenting like Alabama State and Valley. I have no idea sometimes what – it's like he, he says things that are simply just not true. Not to say he's not a good color analyst, and I know that we guys, we, we are very – acutely aware of what goes on at Mississippi State because we cover Mississippi State. You guys follow Mississippi State. 
like I watch this broadcast and it's like, oh, good job of coverage there. And there's like a bulldog receiver three yards behind the guy. You know, we just miss him. We only had a few misses, but it's like things like that. It's kind of scratching my head. And it's like, it's one thing not if you don't know the names or don't understand, you know, the players, their roles, I get that. But when we're just watching a football game and a guy is three yards behind the DB, he did not do a good job of coverage, period. All right, so we get the first down, and then, of course, they they reverse the call there on the first down play. And then uh, we're incomplete to Jameer Calvin. They call Holden on Lashley, and they decline the penalty to bring up third and ten. I thought it was a mistake then. I think it's a mistake now. Then some craziness happens. We're incomplete to Makai Polk. We're about to get off the field, and uh, T.D. Moultrie is flagged for unnecessary roughness. So what I'm told privately is that Quentin Sharp told him he was going down. He said, you're going down, big boy, and then he did, and Moultrie didn't like it. Moultrie gets manhandled on the play, can't make a play between the whistles, and so he pushes uh, Q's helmet off 15 yards. We'll take the first down. Then we're complete to Austin Williams for 10 to the uh, Auburn 14. Lashley flagged for a false start. And, and I'll be honest with you, I thought this one could have went any way. I, I mean, I really would. Auburn did a really good job, I thought, on the ends of kind of anticipating the snap count. There were, there were a couple times it, it, it seems a little bit problematic to me that they were so strong off the edge and anticipating a snap count. I mean, we've got to vary things up a little bit. It's just, just, you know, kind of food for thought there. So that backs us up, makes us first and 15. Then we're incomplete to Ra-Ra. We go back to Ra-Ra for four. And then we check it down to Woody, well short of the chains, and he just can't get there. And then we end up having to attempt a field goal. And to uh, increase the level of difficulty, we take a delay of the game penalty to back it up even farther. And then Nolan McCord rips it right down the middle for 34 yards. And good. Now it is 7-3 at this point. The one takeaway that I had from that first drive offensively, is that Auburn was there to play a very physical brand of football. You had the P.I., you had the targeting call that was reversed correctly. Then you had the uh, hands to the face. You know, it's like Auburn was kind of letting us know they were setting the tone early that we're here to play a physical brand of football. You're in a fight, Mississippi State. And fortunately for us, we were were able to kind of get in there and trade blows with them a little bit. And their over-aggressive play kind of came back to haunt them a little bit later. Right? All right, so we kick off, and then uh, Neshoba County Central, or Neshoba Central, excuse me, running back Jarquez Hunter, having a great freshman campaign for them. Uh, they run the, the little pass thing. It was not very well executed, despite what people say. The pass was well behind the line. I know you, you want to make sure that uh, that's the case, but had they not had the block in the back, it's probably a loss of about five or six yards on the return. And I'll be honest with you, when I saw them run the little gadget play, and you're seeing more and more of that, it's almost like you're, you're kind of like you're telling me, we can't just line up and play football with these guys. We got to do, we got to get some explosiveness. We got to do something a little bit silly. And of course, another Mississippi native, JJ Pegues, involved in the block in the back, pushed Colin Duncan down. Kyle and the first guy down would have made the play, or we fully expect he would have. So, after the penalty, it was a lot of fun to watch, and then we, but you know, that's all it was was practice because you back it up to the Auburn 18. Didn't matter. Bo Nix, again, was outstanding, and they're trying to establish the run game here, and uh, they're trying to give us a full dose of tank, and I would too. 
no gain, and then 12, and then 8, and then 3. And next thing you know, it's like back-to-back first downs, and they're already out to their 41. Complete to Taylor Fromm again, another one of these little non – basically a non-competitive play. It's like I don't understand. It's like let's just run out of bounds. How about we turn up field, guys? I know that's probably a design play. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then they get us. It's almost like they ran this tight end out to set up the next play. We run it to the right side to get it on the right hash, and then they run that RPO, and they swing it out to Javarius Johnson. It goes 57 yards. It's extremely well blocked on the perimeter. They did a great job. Very well-designed play. It goes down as a rushing play, even though technically one could argue that it should have been a pass. I think in this where they rolled it a pass and changed it. In the end, it's six points. The extra point is good, and Auburn's hit a couple of explosives early in the ballgame, and we're all kind of growing a little bit, right? 14 to 3 Tigers. They kick it back to us. We give the DJ for no gain. We're incomplete to Wally, and uh, it's broken up by Smoke Monday. It brings up a third and 10. And at this point, I'm getting a little nervous. And uh, they bring a little pressure, and we get out of it, and then we hit Polk on the sidelines for 11. Complete to Woody for a one-yard loss. They just did a good job kind of stringing that thing out there. Then we're incomplete to Ford. We call timeout and talk about it and uh, end up taking some pressure right off the left side. Derek Hall, excuse me, right side. Derek Hall beat Scott Lashley pretty much unabated at the quarterback. And Will steps up, evades the pressure, and slings it out there to Polk. And uh, we end up getting the punt off, but it's partially blocked. Could have been an absolute nightmare scenario. And like all of you, I'm, I'm kind of – tired of talking about special teams miscues. I understand that's part of football, but we've, we've talked about these things a lot. Archer does a good job kind of getting through there. It ends up being a 37-yard punt, even though it's partially blocked. Defense does a good job here, uh, at least kind of holding things uh, you know, together for a while, but again, it's the back, it's, it's these big plays that become a problem, an issue for us. You know, it's like Ever so often, you know, we'd string a play out and be, you know, no gain. The running game, we would kind of slow it down a little bit. And uh, Bo Nix played about as well as he can play. Complete uh, Shedrick Jackson for 17, first down. They give to Hunter. He runs for 12 yards and a first down. We call timeout to settle the defense. Didn't do a whole lot for us. Complete to Shedrick Johnson for seven. Illegal snap on Nick Brahms, which backs it up five, and then Hunter runs for no gain. You're thinking, okay, maybe maybe we can get off the field here. Maybe we can get off the field here. Maybe we hold them to a field goal and we stay within two scores. Well, in third and eight, that's not what happened. They find Demetrius Robertson for 17, down to the MSU 18. Nixon runs for five, complete to Kobe Hudson, who was outstanding for Auburn. Kobe Hudson, one of the more impressive uh, slot receivers I've seen this year. Guy makes incredible catches. He's the, the one-head catch guy. Incredible. And so, Jark was hunted and goes for no gain. Sean shot, uh, Shivers runs for five, who I thought he was a pretty good player too. Hunter then goes for no gain. You're thinking, okay, we're going to have a chance to get out of this. Second four, nope, 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 nope. They roll him right. Nix hits Luke Deal for the first touchdown of the year. It is now 21-3. And I will be honest with you, I was ready to stop believing at this point. All due respect to Journey and everybody else, but I was, uh, I was ready to stop believing. We all were. We get the ball back. 
Complete the poke for four. We take a sack, loss of five. Coverage sack, really. And then Rodgers complete the marks for no gain. And a pretty big lick there, too. We get the punt off this time with, without much issue, 43 yards, down to the Auburn 32. And it's like at that point you're just thinking small victories, right? At least we got the punt off, right? So now where Auburn set up at their own 32, complete to Demetrius Robertson. Man, we Robertson folks are productive, aren't we? Tank Bigsby then goes for five, back to Tank for six, and then they fumble the football, but Big, Bigsby gets back on it. So, again, it's like, you know, we're, we're like one play away from, like, making some things happen, and we just we struggle at times to get it done. But we're bringing some heat. There's some physical tackles on the play. Incompleted Javaris Johnson uh, brings up second and ten. Bigsby goes for three. On third and seven, complete to Kobe Hudson. This is that out route. He made a one-handed grab on this one, too. Just an incredible play. Complete to Malcolm Johnson, Jr. for eight. Down to the state 15, and then he finds Kobe Hudson. And I've read some posts about this, too. Guys, Martin Emerson could not have played that ball any better than he did. He's all over him. You get an NFL-quality throw from Bo Nix there and a one-handed grab from Kobe. You know, what do you want me to do? Sometimes they get you. Sometimes they make the play. This is one of them. And it's 28-3. And at this point, I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. I, mean, I even made a comment. I said, this is one of the issues with the air raid. This game's already decided, and uh, you know, we're going to keep throwing the football, and the clock's going to continue to stop. We're going to be here a while, guys. It turns out we were, but we were glad we were in the end. Mississippi State takes over with 6-10 to go in the half. We're complete to Christian Ford for 7-10. I told you guys, like, almost every time he catches it, I expect a change to move. Here we are again. Offsides on Marcus Harris. Brings it out to the state 47. DJ then runs for eight for a first down. We're complete to Malik Heath, but they do a great job kind of tackling in space there. Second and 10, where Rodgers gets flushed, tucks it, goes, uh, and gets a few yards. He makes up a manageable third down. We're complete to DJ for eight. They flag Malik Heath for a block in the back, and it was. It wasn't egregious, but he did touch him, and the guy was diving, going to dive and make a tackle anyway. But by the rule... Yeah, he did it. He, he didn't have to. That's the thing. It was a non-productive block. But, uh, but he was rightfully flagged for it as much as I hated to see it. But because it is a spot foul, it brings up third and eight. Then Will Rogers uh, rushes for four, brings up a fourth and four, and we're going for it. We're not going to attempt some long field goal. We go for it. We find Austin Williams for 12 in the first down. Then it's to Makai Polk for seven down to the Auburn 20. Second three, Auburn calls timeout trying to settle their defense. Didn't matter. Nice route out to Jamar Calvin for 16. Makes it first and goal situation. We, we find Makai Polk for the touchdown. It is now 28-10. And you're thinking, okay, we're still three possessions down. But we do get the ball coming out of the half. We do get the ball coming out of the half. So, I mean, if we can, you know, let's just get in there down 18. We got a shot. We ain't got much of a shot, but we got a shot. So Auburn takes over. They're incomplete to Bigsby. They uh, run shivers for two yards, and then it's the big gain again to Kobe Hudson, another acrobatic catch. It's ridiculous how good that kid is. Complete to Sean Shivers for uh, for eight. Timeout Auburn, 44 seconds to go. And then, again, it's Kobe Hudson. On a second two, moves the chains again. Another first down. 
This next play, I thought, was one of the biggest plays in the ballgame. I don't think there's any question. This is one of those plays that kind of fired up the Bulldog defense and really allowed us to get into the half without giving up any further damage. So Nathan Pickering is up there and just absolutely eats the center up. Forces a high snap, and then he beats him inside, and Pickering sacks Bo Nix. And you can tell in Bo's body language, he's like, what's going on? He looks at his sideline and kind of puts his hands up. Made it second and 18, which really kind of backed them out of field goal range a little bit. Really on, on the on the fringe, I guess, of what you would consider a makeable kick for them. The next two passes from Bo Nix were not even close. Not even close. Randy Charlton got there in his face and kind of forced a quick throw out to Demetrius Robertson, but it was not a competitive throw. And then he throws behind Kobe Hudson. At this point, too, you know, states in cloud coverage there, so you're just trying to make it a more makeable field goal, and then Nick's throws behind him. So you get the sack, and then you have two inaccurate throws. He had been absolute money at every point in every throw before that. I think the sack did a little something to him. There are a lot of guys out there that don't want to be hit. And I kind of get the sense that's the case with Bo. That's one thing when he's running the football and he can anticipate. I just don't think he enjoyed it at all. They bring out Anders Carlson, who uh, attempts a 55-yard field goal, and it fades wide right. We get the ball back with 12 seconds. We'll complete to Jaden for 18. Brings up first down. We spike it. And uh, ultimately, um, you know, threw a Hail Mary that fell short of the end zone. But uh, what's interesting about this, too, is, you know, they had somebody spying the quarterback, you know. And so, Will had to roll left and then throw back right. So, we get into the, lot, the halftime lock. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Room 28 to 10. So I am ever the optimist. You know, some, uh, you know, Steve, uh, Sunshine Popper, whatever. I've always felt like, you know what, at some point I'm going to see some history. At some point we're going to see somebody do something we've never seen before. 
That's how I always feel. At some point, it's going to happen. Well, that happened on Saturday. But I'll be honest with you. I didn't think it was going to happen. Because I was like, you know, even if we get things rolling offensively, we're down 18 points. We're down three scores. Or we're going to be able to get enough stops. And I think that's one of the things that it's lost in all the jubilation of the win is how well the defense played in the second half. It's like, yeah, we had to go score all these points. We had to get stops, too. We had to kind of hold the game where it was. To give Zach Arnett and his crew a lot of credit. And uh, one of the things I was told yesterday by a couple people is that Mike Leach went in the halftime locker room. He didn't rant. He didn't rave. He went in there and said, okay, listen, here's what we can do, and this is what what's going to work, and we're going to be okay. Then I was told that uh, Mason Miller told, tells the offensive line, hey, you guys remember that record we set against Louisiana Tech? Biggest comeback in school history. Well, yeah, Coach, we're fixing to do it again. And then once State scored here opening the third quarter, Eric Mealy's walking up and down the sideline saying, Falcons, Patriots, Falcons, Patriots, like it can be done. It's almost like everybody kind of felt it. And I even asked Makai Polk in postgame, I said, Makai, once you finally got the lead, did you think you guys would go ahead and finish? He goes, oh, man, I thought we were going to win. We were down 28-17. It's just a weird thing. All right, so we open up the, uh, the third quarter. And, uh, you know, again, obviously we've deferred. And so this worked out good for us because we were able to get a score before the half and a stop. So we come back and uh, we get, you know, the touchback here. And then Woody runs for two. We're complete to Malik Heath for 20. I thought Malik Heath had one of his better games in the uniform. I mean, he was outstanding. Very competitive guy. Very emotional guy. Freakish catch radius. We get that guy moving in the right direction. We've really got a weapon with Malik Heath, and that's what we had on Saturday. We go to Wally for four, and then we're – J.J. Jernigan, one of the, and, and he has become a dependable performer as well. Will flush to his left, and then J.J. releases to, get, to basically take his guy away, and next thing you know, Will hits him for 15 yards. Great, great individual effort by both Bulldog players there. We take a shot to Makai Polk, and uh, Nehemia Pritchett is beat on the play. All he can do is grab and hold. That became a consistent theme in the second half. If you get, if you get a chance to watch, like, the end zone view, if you, if you want to go back and relive that game, if you can find that out there, I don't know if the ESPN still does that. I know on the app you used to could change your view. You will be amazed at how often Auburn – defensive backs who were bragging that this game was going to show that they're one of the best secondaries in the country were grabbing, holding, interfering, and then get away with it. You know, they, the only reason they didn't get called is because the ball wasn't thrown in their direction. You, you will be amazed at how often you saw guys uh, from Mississippi State having to kind of run through arms because Auburn simply couldn't cover them. Very reminiscent of our game to bat, at Baton Rouge last year. I mean, Auburn really got tired of having to chase our guys around. All right, so they flag them for 15 yards and uh, probably a touchdown-saving call there because Pritchett was beat on the play. Smoke Monday over the top, but he was not in position to get there. And, you know, if they don't slow Polk down, he probably runs under it for a big touchdown there. So probably a business decision there. Will Rogers incomplete to Dillon for nine, brings it to the 10. And then uh, we're back to Marks for seven. And then to Jimmy Calvin for the touchdown. And an incredible catch. Ball placement off a little bit. Not too bad, but enough where Jimmy Calvin had to kind of contort himself a little bit. He reaches behind him, makes an acrobatic catch. 
Now it's 28-17. And then, again, just because we're showing off her, we get called for holding on the PAT. So we're like, yeah, we're playing horse with Nolan McCord. So rather than kick from the three, we had to kick, you know, from 13. And uh, we back it up. But he makes it. He makes it. I thought Nolan McCord actually had a good game. So 28-17, we get the touch back out of Goodman. And it's 28-17. And uh, Bulldogs within striking distance. And we're thinking, you know, man, if we can get a stop and get to within a play, anything can happen. Demetrius Robinson, Robertson runs for two yards. And then it's complete to Kobe Hudson again, 14 yards. And then it's incomplete to Tutterfrom. They tried to uh, tried to get the play here for um, out of bounds, like on the sidelines, and he runs out of bounds. And then it's incomplete again, and uh, Crumity, Crumity there in his face. And then it's complete to Schenker for five yards. And it's like they lost track of the downs. Why would you run a five-yard tight end out on third and ten? As a part of me, I wondered, is this, are they setting up to go for four? Go for it on four? Surely not. Not an 11-point ball game on your side of the field. Well, they get a great punt down to our two, and you're thinking, man, this, this is not going to work out well for us here. We're trying to start a comeback. we got to go 98 yards. And then we do. How about that? And then we do. Complete to Wally for nine to kind of get us out of the uh, the end zone there, and then we run DJ for a one yard loss. And you're thinking, man, we're gonna we're gonna get stuck back here. We throw it to Makai underneath, and then Jalen Simpson. It's an obvious pass interference. He gets there early. They make the call. I actually thought the officials did a great job in this ball game. A great job. We, so early in the ball game, you know, we had the face mask call when it, when. Woody got jerked down, and then you see it in replay, and you realize that they didn't get the face mask. It was a violent play. That's football. You had the targeting call on Auburn, and then they review it, and it wasn't. You know, it's one thing, too, sometimes I see these guys throw these flags from 30 yards away, and it irritates me, but I also understand why we do it. My, my problem with it is, is that once it's called on the field, it's so difficult to reverse if it's a marginal play. But I thought this crew did a pretty good job officiating. Uh, and these PIs, I mean, like, they have, they, these were obvious calls. I know Auburn people would tell you differently, but that's not the case. These were obvious calls. Uh, Will Rogers then incomplete to Makai. Uh, Polk gets broken up by Jacoby McClain. I thought he had a pretty good game for them. Uh, complete to Wiley for eight. And then we call a timeout there, third and two from our 24. And... Um, we kind of get things rolling. You know, it's like I think that we did a good job kind of settling things there. We find Ra-Ra for 18 and uh, a bit of a horse collar, not enough to draw a flag. But you got a guy trailing the play and he grabs the back panel, lets it go, and then they, he kind of rolls up on Ra-Ra and uh, no update on his condition. Don't know when we'll get one. Will Rogers did complete to Makai Polk for six, and then we uh, we run the tunnel screen again. We have not had success with the tunnel screen the last couple of weeks. I don't know if we're tipping it or not, but we are not able to break that. So two-yard loss there, and then brings up a third and six. And Malik Heath, again, one of his better games. Donovan Kaufman, I think it was, uh, they tried to, to, uh, to basically arm tackle, and Malik Heath is too big and too strong. Um for that, and he breaks it for 31 yards. I think you know if he if he had changed uh, changed the ball to the right side, he might score because they basically drag him down by his arm in the football. You know, it's because he's got that thing tucked up to his side there. He's got to be careful. Basically, has to go down and protect it, prevent a fumble. 
Then we find Dylan Johnson for 20. Now, we talked earlier this year on the show kind of the evolution of this offense. You know, we'd have these checkdowns. And, like, last year they were always, like, on the on the boundary. And then, you know, we'd have to f- have nowhere to run. Well, earlier this year we saw more angle routes and slants and things like that. And the players getting more comfortable with each other. Well, this week we see Dylan Johnson kind of hide behind the line like he's staying in the block. And then when the backers bail, he slips out in the pass pattern. That's what happened here. That's what happened here. We're just sitting there like we're blocking, and then the linebacker's eyes go somewhere else. He forgets his keys, and then DJ's out there, and there's nobody to stop him. He goes 20 yards down to the Auburn three. And then Will Rogers goes through about 20 progressions here. He had so much time, looked five, six different receivers, and goes back to Dylan Johnson for a touchdown. And for we decided to go for two. I didn't agree with it, but we go for two here. I know it's like, well, you know, let's make it a uh, – you know, let's let's get a little closer here. But uh, I didn't like the, I didn't like the call. I didn't like the decision to go for it to go for two. You just kick it. I know you're thinking, well, if we make it, then we're within a field goal. A lot of football left to be played. We just ch- kind of chasing points there. All right, so we give it back to them, and then Bigsby runs for a three-yard loss. Ty Wheat does a great job, basically flowing out there, and it's like I thought we did a good job with our backers getting to the perimeter in the second half. I thought they hurt us a little bit on the edge in the first half. I think we kind of figured out what they were doing with those two tight end sets. There's nobody in the SEC that implements more two tight end sets in Auburn. And I think it took us a while to kind of figure that out. How do we want to attack this? Well, we did. We basically outflanked them. And um, got to get some some relief there in the middle too. And I thought the interior offense, defensive line played pretty well. Bigsby then goes for five-yard gain, brings up a third and eight. They drop it in the bucket to Javaris Johnson. Colin Duncan uh, runs him out of bounds. Complete to Kobe Hudson for no gain. And then next thing you know, it's another negative play. Tank Bigsby loses about a half yard there. And then it's incomplete to Robertson. Brings up a fourth and ten from the 18. They line up to kick it off for the field goal, excuse me. And then Cam Young gets in there. And really it was just a matter of who was going to get it. Basically the interior of the Bulldog. Uh, punt field goal block team if I can get on track basically shoved everybody backwards and Cam Young gets in there and blocks the field goal it's like Auburn had a chance to kind of wrestle some momentum back and we take that opportunity right away from them it's still just the third quarter a lot has happened we're down by five with the ball late in the third quarter we go right to Jaden Wally for 13 then to Austin Williams for 17 Malik Heath for 17 absolutely torching these guys and you could definitely tell in Auburn's body language and they're looking at each other kind of got their hands up hands on hips things like that they look to be a tired defense again it's another PI and again what basically what happens here is similar to what happened on the on the whole thing you know with the Trillin Burks and and Martin Emerson you know the, the top of the route the guy tries to bump him off the route top of the route and they call it. And this was actually more egregious than the one they called against Emerson at Arkansas. But, again, I thought it was a very obvious call. Auburn people will disagree. But that's just what happens when fatigue takes over, technique goes out the window. We're complete then to Marks for five, makes it first and ten at the Auburn uh, – excuse me, second and five at the Auburn 11. Complete to Austin Williams for five, brings up a first down. And the next thing you know, McCoy Polk has it. We go for two. We don't get it. 
And initially, I thought he was in. And then when I saw the replay at home, he was short of the line of the game. Hate it, but it's true. So now it's 29-28. You're thinking, have we, have we shot everything we have? Do we have anything left in the reserve to finish this deal? Well, it turns out we did. We put Auburn in a very, very difficult situation here. Because of the fact that Bo Nix you know, had an ankle injury, and I still to this day, I don't understand how in good conscience you can let that guy go out there and play with a broken ankle, especially if he's already been in the tent and somebody's checked him out. I know it hadn't been x-rayed. I just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. But, hey, Bo Nix uh, is a warrior. I give that guy a lot of credit. Guy did his best. So Auburn gets the ball back at their 25, and they run Bigsby for a one-yard gain. And then, next thing you know, it's a 10-yard loss. DeMontre Russell uh, knifes through back there, forces it, and then Bo Nix has to go jump on it. DeMontre Russell beginning to play a little bit more, too. We even had him playing some at linebacker, which is interesting. Nix jumps on it. It's now third and 19, and then it's incomplete to Kobe Hudson. And this is a play, too, that a lot of Auburn people are upset about. And I would encourage them to have an Alabama fan maybe explain this to them because clearly they know a little bit more about football. Emmanuel Forbes has just as much right to the football as Kobe Hudson does. Emmanuel Forbes peels off his guy and is trying to make a play, and he beats Hudson to the spot. Hudson's helmet hit Forbes back. So, yeah, you saw his helmet pitch forward. Yeah, because he's the second guy to the spot. There was no helmet-to-helmet contact. There was no deliberate intent to injure. He didn't launch himself. Forbes trying to go make an interception. And because he read the ball and the ball placement wasn't perfect, he beats you to the spot. Well, if anything, you know, you could say, well, because of the fact that Kobe was the second guy to the spot, it's an incompletion. And that's exactly what they ruled, as well they should have. And they booed and booed and booed, and they were wrong and wrong and wrong. I think a lot of that's just out of frustration. You know, it's like, how, well, wait a minute, we were up 28-3, and now we're down? How does this happen? And you just wanted something to feel good about. Well, instead, it's a three and out, and it's a 39-yard punt, and then Austin Williams fair catches it at the state 45. And I'm thinking anything here. Just give me anything here. Give me something productive. And what, lo and behold, we get another touchdown. Complete the poke for 19. DJ then runs for 22 on a great cutback there. And then we run for three, run for eight. It's first and goal at the three. And we find Jameer Calvin on a basic willow five yard out. And uh, if you saw the replay, you saw that uh, Will basically recognizes they're in man coverage and tells Calvin to run the out. It, you can't cover that. I mean, when you're, when you're even or showing inside leverage, and you're giving in the outside, it's, it's impossible to cover that. I don't care who you are. If executed correctly, there is no way that ball is going to be picked off. Zero. That's, a good, that's what happened. And it wasn't even that great a throw. I mean, you go back and look at it, I mean, it wasn't, Will didn't make a perfect throw, but his ball placement was very good. We, uh, we kicked the extra point there, and it's now 36-28. You know, we could be up... 38-28 here. Let me just point that out to you. But, we, but we're not. We're up eight. So we get the kick, and uh, they they run the little tight end out again, and then it's incomplete to Shedrick Jackson, and then they find Javaris Jackson for 16 yards. Really one of the more productive plays they had down the stretch. 
then it's incomplete to Shanker, it's incomplete to Fromm, and it's incomplete to Robertson. And you've got basically, you got Bo Nix trying to shove the ball down the field with a broken ankle on his plant foot. You're not going to be able to get anything. And this is when he and his throws began to get a little more erratic and aggressive. Yes, he did have a scoring drive after this, but this is when you could tell this is when things began to kind of break down for Bo Nix. And, again, I hate it for him. Hope he makes a full recovery. Then they decided they're going to run the uh, the fake punt. And it's like not only was it a bad idea and a bad play call, State is in punt safe. It's not like we're setting up a return. It's not like we're bringing a block. We're in punt safe. We're expecting a fake. And then they run the little jump pass thing, and it was really just a matter of, you know, who was going to get their hands on it. Auburn had no chance to complete this. I thought if Jalen Green catches it clean, it's a pick six. It was an awful, awful, awful decision, and the execution was even worse. But, again, if you're on that coaching staff and you see that, it's one thing if they're in punt safe and you're going to run wide, but you're going to run this to the middle of the field – and you've got basically eight to nine guys within in the box there expecting you to fake it. I mean, come on. That's bad coaching. And it's good coaching on Mississippi State's behalf. They recognize the situation, called the right defense, State makes a play. Now we've got it at their 45. Now it's closing time, right? Now it's time to go, let's go put a fork in them. We're complete to Jaden Wally for 29. I love the aggressive play call. Great throw. You find your guy. And, again, they're in man coverage. They're in man coverage because of the fact that, number one, they're whipped. And, number two, they're thinking we can't let this guy continue to sit on his spot. We have got to get to him or they're going to pick us apart. And, again, they weren't dropping eight. You go back and watch it. It's, they showed some three-man looks and, at times, even some two-man, some two-down lineman looks. They would show three and then bring four and, at times, bring five which leaves you in man coverage more times than not. And we absolutely roasted them. Absolutely roasted them. All right, so Will Rogers is in sacked. Fumbles the football. Cam James, excuse me, Cam Jones jumps on it and uh, kind of saves the day here. And then Will Rogers is sacked for loss of five yards. T.D. Moultrie basically comes on a bit of a stunt there and uh, gets right through there. And so here is, here's what I'll say. When I first saw it, I was okay with letting it go. But what does the rule say? Let's forget about our opinions, right? What, what does the rule book say? Did he launch himself? Yes. Was there forcible contact to the head or neck injury? Yes. Okay, we can stop right there. We can stop right there. It was targeting. Whether you like the rule or not, this was targeting. And even Jordan Rogers, and they kept trying to belabor the point and defend, defend the player. And so what's he supposed to do? Well, the same thing that Smoke Monday did. Get his helmet to the side. It's as simple as that. You don't have to hit a guy in the face mask. They say, well, yeah, he's launching thinking the ball's about to be thrown. Okay, then cool. But here's the deal. If you don't like the call, then petition to have the rule changed. Because the rule was upheld on this call. And even though I thought, hey, it's just a good football play, there was no malicious intent, how do you judge intent? How do I know what's in the person's heart? Right? But the reality of it is, 
is by the, you know, by the, the, the true nature of the rule, this was targeting. And now T.D. Moultrie will sit out the first half of the South Carolina game as a result. So it's now first and 10 at the, uh, at the Auburn 11. It would have been second and 21 from their 27. Probably would have had to attempt a field goal there. So then Jaquavius Marks runs for five yards, makes it a uh, pretty manageable second down. What do we do? We find Malik Heath for six yards, elevated and uh, made a great catch there. And at this point, the game is over. And But again, we're playing horse with Nolan McCord out here. We get another holding call on the extra point. We back him up again. He makes it again. He had to bang it off the extra point, off the upright, but he gets it in. It's like we're having some kick and woes. Why are we, why are we compounding the issue with these penalties? But nevertheless, it's now 43-28. And the kick it to Jarquez Hunter, he gets a nice return. But the very first guy down was Jalen Green, who was held. Again, a very easy call to make right out in front of everybody. We've had some games this year where you've had guys out there in space and uh, you can't get a call. We get a call. Maybe all those complaints worked. Who knows? Maybe like, you know what, hey, we can't keep picking on Mississippi State. All right, so Auburn gets the ball back with 524 to go, down 15. He's complete to uh, Shivers for three, back to Shivers for eight. Then he finds Javaris Johnson for 18. So they're already kind of on the move here. Shout out to Demetrius Robertson, broken up by Emmanuel Forbes, who actually had a really good game after he got through the first quarter. Uh, complete to Kobe Hudson for 31, Forbes on the tackle. Incomplete to Hudson. And then they run that tight end out again, five yards to the MSU 25. And then they swing it out there, and uh, Javaris Johnson gets into the end zone. Then they reverse it and say, hey, he was about a foot short. They give it to Bigsby, who runs in for a to touchdown. They go for two. Now, I want to talk about this just for a minute here. I am a firm believer, and you don't go for two until you have to. You take the point, because you're going to need that point later in the ballgame. In this situation, Auburn is down nine points. Nine. There is no nine-point play in football. There's nothing you can do to score nine. You can't. You can score a touchdown and get six and go for two and make eight. And so, basically, Auburn – Put, put it on the backs of this one play and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go for two, and then that puts us in a position next time to at least tie or maybe go for two to win the game, which that makes no sense either. But I've read with great people like, oh, my gosh, no, you need all the information you can get. No, I don't. I need to stay within one possession. I'm down two. I can get, kick an extra point, and I am within a possession now. And then – it's, well, you got to go for two at some point. Yes, but I want to keep the pressure on the opponent as long as I can and keep hope alive for my team. You kick that extra point there. You dadgum hipsters. You, you, you kick the extra point. Now you're down eight. You just trust your defense can get a stop for you, right? That's the hope. There are three minutes to go in the ballgame. What are the chances I'm going to get two possessions with three minutes to go. Honestly. And you say, well, you know, you got all three timeouts. Yeah, but I got to get the ball back. And so let's say, okay, Mississippi State runs, you know, maybe they don't get a first down. Maybe it's three and out. I use all my timeouts. And then I then they punt, right? 
and maybe we've you know saved 30 seconds or so. I get the ball back with 2:30. I still have to have the ball twice. I've got to. I've got it now. I've got to go score, and then I've got to get it back again. And I don't have any timeouts left. It's like there's all this convoluted thinking. It's like, oh, well, yeah, this happened. No, you kick the extra point. You take the point, and then it keeps the game alive. Keeps the game alive. At this point, the game was over. Not to mention you, you're, you're wanting to roll a quarterback out to the right side with a bum wheel. We do a great job covering this thing up. He basically throws it up for grabs, and Fred Peters picks it off. And the game is over at this point. It's over. Auburn has basically ended the game right here with this when this dumb front rolls in. And we're grateful. And you can't tell me after we picked it off you didn't relax a lot more. And let me just ask you this, you two-point hipsters. When Fred Peters picked that thing off, if you were able to let loose a big exhale, then you're wrong. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You kick the extra point to keep the pressure on the opponent. You and I both know, with us getting the ball back, three minutes to go, up nine, the game is over. But Steve, no, you're wrong. So, Bo Nix doesn't come back out. Um, I guess let me back up here a second. I guess I have uh, I've jumped ahead of this anemic drive that we had here. We, we, we had Dylan run for 20, and then uh, we run for two, and then we have no gain, and then we're incomplete to Marks on the wheel route there. And so we attempt the 40-yard field goal, and it hits the upright, and it's no good. Auburn gets the ball back. Three minutes. You know, it's like if we kick the field goal. I'm here, and let me back up a second, too. I didn't like the play call on third down. They have burned all the timeouts. I can run the football on third down. I can run the dive. I can run off tackle. And I'm going to burn at least 40 seconds off the clock. Right? Because they're powerless to stop it. I might even score. Or I might put myself in a manageable fourth and short, and I may just go for it. And then I can just run the clock out. Because you can't stop me. So I didn't like the play call there. You made them burn timeouts. You know, make them pay for that. So I didn't like it at all. But it didn't come back to bite us. And, but we did miss the field goal. The field goal really doesn't help you at that point anyway. You already got two possessions. You know, the clock is your, is your enemy here. You want to use the clock to keep the pressure on them too. Just run the football. Well, it works out okay for us. Because the football guys were watching when Auburn went for two, and they made them pay. Because in their next possession, of course, after the pick, right, T.J. Finley comes in and throws a ground ball to John Samuel Schenker. I mean, it was awful. And then T.J. Finley drops back the pass, and it's like a swarm of dogs have been turned loose from their chains. And Randy Charlton with a strip sack. Tyrus Wheat jumps on it. And now it's really over. It's really over. Auburn never gets the ball back. And so back to my original point of going for two there. Remember that? We just talked about it, right? We just talked about it extensively. Auburn had one more possession in the game. One. One. So you got to stop when State missed a field goal. But then you just get one possession. So, again, it makes no sense. That line of thinking, oh, no, you got to go for two. No, no, this isn't Madden. This is real football. This is real football. There are real emotions involved. 
And when I'm down nine, you don't think there's some give up in your team when all of a sudden, okay, we got a shot. We just got to get in here and, you know, we get a score. Next thing you know, we can get a stop and we're down eight. There's still some emotional buy-in from the offense. You go for two and you don't get it. Now it's like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to get two possessions and two scores in three minutes? You're not. You're not. State had a chance to put this ball in the end zone. They don't. We run the clock out. We win the ball game. Mississippi State now six and four. Looking at some quick numbers here before we get to today's top ten list. Will Rogers sets a new school record with six touchdown passes in a game. He's 44 of 55, 415 yards, no interceptions, 31 long, two sacks, both of those covered sacks. I would uh, – I think he would tell you that too. One of me just a little late getting out of there. And another one, the pocket kind of collapsed around him. Um, so another great day at the office for Will Rogers. And if I understand correctly, his next touchdown pass will be a single-season record for a Mississippi State quarterback, surpassing Dak Prescott's totals. Dylan Johnson runs eight times for 62 yards. Woody Mark six times for 17. Uh, Will Rogers, of course, uh, five for a loss of negative seven when it's all said and done. Big run of the day, Dylan Johnson's 22-yard scamper on the cutback. Threw the ball all around the yard. Jaden Wiley, seven grabs, 87 yards. Malik Heath, five for 74, and the big touchdown. He had a long of 31. Makai Polk, eight grabs for 61 yards and a pair of touchdowns. He is, without a doubt, our preferred target in the red zone. Austin Williams, four for 44. Dylan Johnson, four for 40 and a touchdown. Sequavius Mark, seven grabs uh, for 30. So you can run all that down the list here, but uh, Jameer Calvin, very efficient with his day. It's a work. Uh, four catches, 20 yards, a pair of touchdowns. How about that? The defensive numbers, Aaron Brule, seven total tackles. I don't think Jed Johnson squad 100% yet. Uh, he's still playing. But Aaron Brule got a few more snaps this week and uh, played, played pretty well, I thought. Colin Duncan with six tackles. Fred Peters with six. Uh, Ty Wheat with five. Martin Emerson uh, there with four. We'd end up having uh, four tackles for loss. Obviously, DeMonte Russell being one of the bigger ones. Randy Charlton also as well. And we, we did a good job kind of getting after there. And, and uh, those two big sacks for us were very impactful at the moment. We had three forced fumbles on the day. Didn't recover uh, two of them. But we did have one. We did get on one of those. And that was uh, the one late in the ballgame that Tyrus Wheat jumped on. Then we have uh, a couple pass breakups. We blocked the, the, the field goal, quarterback hurries. The Auburn offensive line did a pretty good job with us. And I think some of that is us, too. Some of that was, is us. We're not always maybe quite as good as we need to be in pass rush. But that's a ball game, and we win. And we didn't expect to win, and we won. And now we're 6-4, and four, and uh, we don't have to think about Birmingham anymore because we should win this weekend handily, which makes us 7-4 and four going into the Egg Bowl. Uh, we could play our way into, into a warmer destination. We absolutely could. We could end the year 8-4. and four. Matter of fact, at this point, that's what I'm expecting, is us to win 8-4. Uh, and four. All right, let's thank our good friend Blair Chandler with CloseToBlair.com, sponsoring today's top 10 list. Talked to Blair on the phone this morning. Blair's my friend. Hear from Blair every day. Blair can be your friend, too. You need to have a friend in the business. Whenever you're, you're kind of dealing with complicated things, Deal with the, your friends like Blair Chandler. Go to CloseAtBlair.com if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or maybe get a second loan, maybe get a second mortgage to do some home improvements. 
Uh, and then on top of that, uh, you know, maybe, um, maybe you're looking to get your equity to work for you, to give you an opportunity to maybe put in a pool or pay for a wedding or consolidate some debt. Blair can help you with every bit of that. And he tells me now it's a great time to do it because of the fact that you've got so much going on in the world with uh, the economy. You know, what's going to happen with these interest rates, you know, in the weeks to come? You know, that, that's a big part of all this. You know, what happens next? So take care of yourself. Be real smart with your money and maybe get your equity working for you. Let me give you a number to call. Blair Chandler, one of the top 1% guys in the mortgage industry when it comes to uh, closing loans. And that's what you want. Coffee's for closers. Blair drinks it like it's water. 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Give him a call today. That's his personal cell number, too. You can text him. I just mentioned to him that you uh, heard about him on the boneyard, and he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a $500 value. That's a pretty cool thing. Today's top 10 list. We're going back a bit. We're going to talk some rock. So I thought about, you know, there's so many bands out there that, uh, you know, they have that great opening album, and then they have what's called a sophomore slump. Because, like, you have your whole life to write your first album, and then you've got like a year or two to write number two. And if you're really hot, the record company is going to push you to get it out sooner rather than later. And so there are some bands out there. There's some legendary, you know, second albums out there. You know, I think of Led Zeppelin 2, Van Halen 2. There are a lot of great songs on those albums. But I wanted to do more of the, the metal years. You know, that's kind of my wheelhouse the great sophomore albums and for some people it kind of became this uh explosion like i'll give you bon jovi had kind of a a slow build bon jovi had the self-titled album that had runaway on it which is a great song and then it had a few clunkers you know had she don't know me and a few others and then 7800 degrees fahrenheit came out which is a sophomore album that had in and out of love on it which was a huge MTV hit. And then that birth, Slippery When Wet, and then New Jersey. You, you kind of get where I'm going with this. And so it's like they progressively built an audience. But some bands kind of hit the ground running and just explode. And the next thing you know, they, they don't have anything to follow up with it. And so my list is different than yours. So here's what I've done. I have picked what I believe, and I know some of you will disagree, the best sophomore albums from these bands and in my favorite song from those albums or one of my favorite because sometimes it's difficult right and some of these songs i just want to get on a list because i dig them so the number 10 so the the follow-up from megadeth of course dave mustaine left metallica formed megadeth uh who i think at times is technically a superior band to metallica and you can say well steve now metallica's got that you know that guttural grunt you know and uh, Mustaine, those guys, I, I, sometimes I think they're just better musically. But following up on uh, Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good was uh, Peace Sells, But Who's Buying? So we're going to go with the title track there, Peace Sells, to represent that as number 10 on the list of great sophomore albums. Number 9, 
Now, this is the um, sophomore solo album for Ozzy Osbourne. Of course, he had a great run with Black Sabbath. Came out with Diary of a Madman. And then, uh, you know, a lot of things changed. You know, it's like, you know, Blizzard of Oz comes out and everybody's like, wow. And then there's Diary of a Madman. And so we're going to go with Flying High again. Some of Randy at his best. Number eight, and you could say, Steve, how could you have this ahead of Ozzy? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because I think this album, start to finish, is amazing. Some of you will disagree. And for those of you that were with me in the Jackson Coliseum, when this band came with Trickster and Firehouse, we got to hear this song off of the Cherry Pie album played live for the very first time. How about that? It's Uncle Tom's Cabin coming in at number eight. That Cherry Pie Warren album, and I know it's cheesy, I get it. But there are some really big moments on that album. I like Rainmaker is incredible. I saw Red, another one. Jenny Lang was a very, very good songwriter. Now, the music industry at the time may not have been what you wanted it to be, but to deny the guy's talent is just being a little bit short-sighted. Number seven, one of my favorite albums of all time. Start to finish, no skips. It's Tesla. And it's the great radio controversy. Of course, they came out with Mechanical Resonance, and it's like every song on that album was a banger. And you're thinking, there's no way. There's no way they can beat it. And they did. It's incredible. They got more polish as a band. And, of course, uh, the five-man acoustical jam came out after that. Then there was Psychotic Supper, and then Bust a Nut, others. It's been, uh, it's been quite the ride for Tesla. But Love Song and all those great tracks that are on the great radio controversy. I mean, the party's over. I mean, there's just so many great ones. I, it's difficult for me to pick one. I could pick Heaven's Trail here. I could go hang tough here. I didn't. I went with one of the more underappreciated songs on the album, and I think it is an absolute rager. It's Lady Luck. Lady Luck by Tesla, your number seven song. Number six, I almost didn't include this one because it is an EP so Appetite for Destruction comes out. And then the record industry, of course, kind of rushes and rushes and rushes. Like, oh my gosh, we've captured lightning in a bottle with Mike Clank producing this incredible album, one of the greatest albums of all time. And so they wanted to capitalize on this meteoric rise. And so they pushed out GNR Lies, which was really cool. It's much different. Also very, very controversial. I, think, I don't know if the song One in a Million is still available on a lot of platforms. It's very controversial. But I went with uh, Patience, who, what I think is one of the best love songs of the generation. You can check it out. You should. Number six on the list, GNR Lies, Patience. Number five, one of my favorite bands of all time. I would say this is probably my favorite band of all time. You know, they, they hit the ground with Too Fast for Love. The production value on that album was not good. The songs were good. Vince was still kind of finding his voice a little bit. You know, there was Come On and Dance, and there was Take Me to the Top. And if you've watched The Dirt, you know, that, that was a kind of a big part of the, the things early on. Um, but Electra decided to put more money behind Motley after the first album. They went out and, and supported Ozzy on uh, the Too Fast for Love tour. Next thing you know, they'd built a big following nationally, not just on the West Coast. So they, they put some money behind them. And they came up with Shout at the Devil, which, again, I think is an album that has no skips. It has a pretty good cover of Helter Skelter on there. But the best song on the album, in my opinion, and arguably the best Molly Crew song, 
of all time is looks at kill. She's got the looks at kill. All right, and so this second Skid Row album, like the first one came out, of course, they were kind of the discovery of John Bon Jovi, and and, uh, they were a New Jersey band, and uh, Bon Jovi took them out on the New Jersey tour, and all of a sudden, people learned who Sebastian Bach was, and in many respects, I think he is the Robert Plant of our generation, vocally. Didn't have the great songwriters around him, obviously, that they had with Led Zeppelin. But uh, um, Sebastian Bach, an incredible singer, but things change. And that very first album was kind of kind of poppy. I guess, you know, we we love the things that we love. But uh, Youth Gone Wild, 18 in Life, I Remember You, those are all iconic songs from my teenage years. But there's some other good tracks on there, too. But some of it, like, you know, Can't Stand the Heartache and I Know a Thing or Two About Sweet Little Sister, it was a little poppy for me. But when the second album came out, Slave to the Grind, you got to see more of who Skid Row really was. Like, they really, they didn't really want to write those radio-friendly tunes. They really wanted to have a harder edge. And then they even took Pantera out on this tour. But Slave of the Grind, from start to finish, is a phenomenal, phenomenal album. Again, there are no skips. I love the song The Threat. Uh, there's so many, Living on Chain Gang, that just, there's so many high points on this album. But if I had to pick one, I went with the one that just really showed that Skid Row was a real rock band and not some poppy poison cover band. And it's Monkey Business. Monkey Business off Slave of the Grind. Check it out. You'll love it. Number three, I was a big Cinderella fan from the very beginning. Loved it. Loved Night Songs. Loved every track on that album. I thought Tom Kiefer was different as a singer, as a vocalist, saw them live in Biloxi on the Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet tour and um, was blown away. I actually thought they were better than Bon Jovi. I was the only person in my circle of friends that felt that, but I felt that Cinderella was more of a real rock band. And I love the step they took with Long Cold Winter. They went in the opposite direction, kind of like Skid Row did. Like they had all this kind of radio-friendly stuff on the first album, you know, Somebody Saved Me and Night Songs and uh, shake me nobody's fool they were also great but rather than go more radio friendly they kind of went away and they did more blues stuff which is really who tom Kiefer is and i love long cold winter there are so many great songs on that album too and many of you know it you know from don't know what you got to it's gone that's the one you, you guys are power ballad freaks i know but i went with gypsy road i think gypsy road is a very fun up-tempo song that kind of shows who cinderella really is that's the number three song on the list, Cinderella's Gypsy Road. Number two. Now, technically, this is not you know, an 80s metal band. However, they got their start in the late 80s and were really kind of the, one of the forerunners of grunge. You had Sap as an EP, then you had Facelift. And Facelift, when Man in the Box got into heavy rotation on MTV, we were all mesmerized. We're like, well, who are these guys? This is different. This is a lot different than what we've been listening to. Allison Chains went out with a lot of the heavy, the heavy hitters and metal and built a huge following because, again, they already had an edge. They didn't have a lot of polish to what they were doing. But the first full-length album, Facelift, was really kind of an iconic album, too. And a lot of people were like, wow, this is something different. And then rather than kind of go along... They went even deeper and darker on Dirt, which is one of the greatest albums ever. Arguably one of the best albums of the 1990s. I don't think there's any question. 
you could go a lot of different directions here with this one, but I went with The Wood, which is my favorite Alice in Chains song. It is an incredible track, and uh, really it's about recovery too. It's like, you know, I, it's about addiction. And it's like, you know, if, if, I, if I would, could you? If I would quit, could you quit? That's really what it's about. End of the flood again, similar trip it was back then. It's about relapse. And so um, very, very important song in many respects and a very important album and uh, a lot of sickness on that album. But number one, and a lot of people would, you're probably thinking, well, Steve, we've, we've already had Motley and you've had Cinderella and you've had Ozzy. What in the world could be number one? You've had Guns N' Roses. It's Metallica, man. Kill em All was the first one. It was great. They were still kind of refining the sound. I still think Master Puppets is the best Metallica album. But when Ride the Lightning came out, it was just so much better. As great as Kill 'Em All was, Metallica went 10 times better on Ride the Lightning. And again, you can go a lot of different ways here, but I, since we're Bulldogs, I went with For Home to Bell Tolls. You guys know it. That's a song we come out to on the football field. So it all kind of ties back together. That's your top 10 Favorite songs off sophomore albums, The Metal Years. And again, we could go classic rock with this whenever we want to, but um, wanted to change it out. We didn't do a lot of rock last week, and so needed to cleanse the power a little bit. So so there you go. Top 10 list uh, with CloseTheBlair.com. All right, let's look at the rest of the league, and let's see how the rest of the league worked out. There is a surprise for us every week, isn't there? It's very rare that things go to script. I apologize as uh, Maverick makes himself his uh, <clears throat> return to the airwaves. But, uh, yeah, we always have something, something crazy, you know, with SEC football. So let's look at the weekend to kind of see how things went. And uh, there were some surprises, as you guys are well aware. Alabama wins 59-3, to but it's kind of a costly uh, W for them. They do lose a couple players, including uh, they're down, down three running backs, according to Coach Nick Saban. And so – could be awfully interesting going into the uh, Iron Bowl under normal circumstances. But uh, the reality of it is Alabama still very much a machine. They powered through New Mexico State 59-3. Of course, State upsets Auburn 43-34. Not so sure it was really an upset in the eyes of uh, the players. I think it was in the eyes of odds makers and uh, maybe national pundits. But Auburn, a couple of big losses. So they lose Anders Carlson, their kicker to torn ACL. And then Bo Nix has – Ankle surgery, and he is now done for the year. So, T.J. Finley, the backup, expected to get the start against Alabama in the Iron Bowl. But before they get there, they got to take care of South Carolina. And people have forgotten that uh, you know, South Carolina played those guys really tough last year. So, interestingly enough, you'll get one tune-up before you play the Crimson Tide. I think Auburn's season is in, is in a very difficult position. Uh, the most wild one of the weekend is, and, who, and you all picked it right, it's Samford at Florida. Samford at Florida. Guys, this was an absolute barn burner of a game until late. Florida finally gets some separation. They win 70-52. to 52. A lot of people now are saying, listen, it's over for Dan Mullen at Florida. The players are mailing it in. It's, uh, it's just done. You know, that's how everybody's looking at this thing. It's like, you know what, if not now, win. Dan Mullen's not going to make it. A lot of people are giving up on him. It'd be interesting to see if Scott Strickland does. I think Scott's probably okay. I don't know so much about Dan. 
Dan might need to take a job in, in the NFL. That's the thing I began to think about, too, is how does Dan Mullen and his ego handle all this? What does he do? How does he turn this thing around? Georgia, 41-17 winners over Tennessee. And Tennessee, 17 points. That's the most points scored against Georgia this year, against the Georgia defense. But Georgia's a machine. Nobody's going to slow those guys down. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely not going to happen. South Carolina goes to Missouri, ends up being a great game. We knew it would be. Missouri wins 31-28. And so now Missouri and South Carolina both right there at 5-5. Five and five. Both still with a chance to play their way into a bowl game. But see, here's the deal. There's a lot of those teams that are similarly situated. Are they five and five? We're not one of them because we're already six and three, excuse me, six and four, and then we have an FCS game this weekend. So you win that one, and you're guaranteed to be no worse than any of those teams. And, of course, you beat Ole Miss, you're eight and four, which obviously puts you in a much better situation. But, you know, Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina, Florida, all right there at five and five overall. And then there's LSU at four and six. And then you've got us and Auburn and uh, A&M and Arkansas kind of in the same soup. Now, of course, Ole Miss currently eight and two overall, but four and two in the league. So they still have a couple games left to play. No reason to think that they won't just steamroll Vanderbilt this weekend. But, you know, the hope is obviously that they, they have to play a full game. Uh, Ole Miss, of course, biggest win of the season for those guys. And I, and I expected A&M to beat them – as soon as the schedule came out, I just really thought because of their inability to stop the running game that A&M would, would kind of run over them. It just didn't happen that way. And give Ole Miss a lot of credit. I mean, you know, th- this was not one of these high-scoring affairs. The A&M defense showed up for a while, and then Ole Miss gets the benefit of a non-offensive touchdown uh, to kind of get some distance between them and the final score. But the uh, reality of it is is that Ole Miss has played some tough opponents, and they have found a way to win many of those games. And so you tip your cap. At the end of the day, too, and it's interesting, too, the things that people talk about. And uh, I love the way that some certain people hate me. I do think it's so utterly ridiculous. But here's the thing, and let's, let's be real candid with each other, Mr. Ole Miss fan. Let's be real honest with each other. It still bothers you that you haven't been to Atlanta. It does. I know that it does. I know that it does. You can try to tweet your way through it and say, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we got a 10-win season. Yeah, great. Great. But you and I both know the fact that we've been and you haven't is a problem for you. It is. And it's been forever since we've gone. We'd love to get back for sure. But at least we've been there. At least we've been there. You know, it's kind of like kind of like the Omaha thing for you guys, right? I mean, it's like you've been, what, one time in your lifetime? Once. And what if you hadn't been? What if you had never been in Omaha in your lifetime? Because I'm sure that's what I just want to go one time. Okay, well, you've gone. And you were essentially and also ran up there too. And so then you hadn't been back and you kind of sniffed around a little bit. You've been a good team, but you hadn't been. What if you'd never been to Omaha in your lifetime? How would you feel? Well, that's how we feel about the SEC West. We've actually won the West. And no matter what you want to say to yourself, to other people, to try to make it all feel better. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll get another New Year's Six. You know, maybe you will. Maybe you will. But you still haven't been to Atlanta. And you got a Heisman candidate at quarterback, and you still can't get there. You have one of the guys you think is the best offensive coach in America, and you still can't get there. And so I begin to ask you, it's like, is it ever going to happen for you guys? 
You can say, oh, yeah, well, you know, look at what Lane's building. Lane's not building anything other than his resume. I don't know that he gets out this year. I don't know. I don't, I don't think he does, even though there'll be some big-time jobs this year. But the reality of it is, is that what are you looking at next year? What are you looking at coming back next year? This is a team that was built to win this year. And while it's been a good year, I don't care what you say, it's a bit of a disappointment. But you begin to think, well, I was 10 wins a disappointment. Well, number one, I don't think you're going to get to 10 wins. But number two, if it's not now, when? If you can't win the West now, when there's so much parity within the division, and, and that was the thing, too, is you'd all convince yourselves you could be Alabama, get your popcorn ready, right? And you couldn't get it done. You couldn't get it done. So while it's been a long time for us, we will still take joy in the fact that uh, but you hadn't been. You hadn't been. And you're not going anytime soon. You better hope those pods open up and you can be a pod champion or something. All right, Kentucky takes care of Vanderbilt 34-17. You know, in the second half ended up being a bit of a of a chore, I guess. Kentucky probably wanted to rest some guys, weren't able to do it. Vanderbilt kind of battled back, made some things interesting. Arkansas, of course, uh, beats LSU. LSU guaranteed another non-winning season. I mean, that's weird to think about. It's really, really weird to think about how this whole thing is uh, working out for LSU. It's pretty crazy to me. Maybe it's just me. So you win the 2019 National Championship, and then you go 5-5 five and five in 2020. And yes, it was a weird year, but the fact that LSU was 500 is awfully interesting. And now you can do no better in the regular season than six and six. And then, you know, I guess it depends on where they send you for a bowl game, if you make it. Because you got, now you got to beat Yule Monroe, and then you got to beat A&M. Don't know if that's going to happen. You know, so it could be a five and seven year for LSU. And what an incredible fall from grace to go 15 and 0 and then win, have five wins in back to back years. That's probably unprecedented within the game of college football. Pretty remarkable. So Arkansas wins. So Arkansas, hey, you know, and that's the thing too. Arkansas that win pretty a lot of times. They just win, you know, and then that's kind of how they did it with with us. I mean, it's like you know, hey, they just found a way to win. Same thing with Arkansas. They make a field goal against LSU in the swamp. Excuse me, in the in the uh, Death Valley to win sixteen thirteen. It's impressive. I give them credit. Sixteen thirteen winners. Arkansas now uh, in pretty good shape for a bowl. Achievable eligibility against us have taken a step forward. So, while Georgia, I guess, is not officially the, um, you know, the consensus uh, number one team in everybody's mind, there's some Alabama fans out there that still think they're going to beat Georgia. You know, after watching Georgia a few times and then watching Alabama and the fact that Alabama's kind of beat up, you begin to look at this and you begin to ask yourself, can Alabama even stay with Georgia? Is the SEC championship game on the verge of being a laugher? I don't know if you guys know this either. Georgia, their final two games, they've already completed all of their SEC Eastern Division. The SEC, their eight games are done. They got Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech, their final two games. 
You don't think they're going to be able to rest some guys? I do. I don't think there's any question they're going to have a chance to rest some guys. And you look at Alabama, you know, well, are they going to be able to rest some guys on a road game at Auburn? They get Arkansas this week in Tuscaloosa. And Arkansas is going to go out there and compete. Now, I don't know if they've got the athletes to really make it interesting. But Georgia has a much easier path to Atlanta. I mean, they've already punched a ticket. But Alabama's got a couple of really physical ball games. That Auburn front is very physical on both sides of the line. So I mean, what kind of shape is Alabama going to show up in in Atlanta? I don't think very good. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe it's just me. I just think Georgia is in a much better position to win the SEC championship and, of course, be number one in the FBS playoff poll. There's just no reason to, to, to expect anything other than that. But it's pretty remarkable. I mean, it's pretty remarkable to think about how the schedule worked out the way – because at the beginning of the year, Georgia had to play Clemson. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I thought they would lose that one and run the table. It's phenomenal what they've done. So congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs. And, uh, you know, looking at the standings and everything, too, everybody was worried. You know, with Auburn, was stiff. Auburn could beat Mississippi State. Then they could control their own destiny. They could beat South Carolina. And so basically what's going to boil down now is there is no chance of anything more than a two-way tie. Just, I mean, right? Because State, A&M, Auburn, Arkansas all have three losses. Ole Miss has two. They do. And Alabama, of course, holds a tiebreaker. So and for, for all intents and purposes, you know, Alabama is your SEC Western Division champion. They're going to be the representative of the SEC West in Atlanta. And that's not breaking news by any stretch of the imagination. But now that Auburn, you know, Auburn could have been 4-2 and two and then controlled their own destiny, beat South Carolina, beat Alabama, and then they could have gone to Atlanta. Well, we've removed that from the possibility. So... Interesting, to say the least. So now Alabama's just kind of sitting around with a one-game lead over Ole Miss. And then Ole Miss, of course, will beat Vanderbilt and then lose to Mississippi State and end up 5-3 and three in the league. Uh, we're 4-3. and three. We beat Ole Miss. We're going to be 5-3 and three in the league, too. So it would end up being a tie for second between us and Ole Miss. And uh, I guess A&M could sneak in there, too. But, of course, we uh, we were on the tiebreaker over all those guys. Not that any of that matters. But the reality of it is, is we haven't had a ton of of years that we have finished above 500 in the SEC. I think sometimes that is forgotten. I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate that. You know, real quickly, just to run this thing down for you before we uh, we get to the last segment of the show, we're going to talk a little recruiting brought to you by Portico. But um, so you know, we looked at you know at the schedule here. It's uh, it's pretty you know. So, Dan Mullen, the great things that he did here, right? We have one year that we're better than four and four in the league. And you know what year that was? That was 14. We go six and two in the SEC and 10 and three overall. We have not had a winning record in the SEC outside of that since 1999. Jackie did it back to back in 98 and 99, went six and two. Ever since then, four and four, two and six, zero and eight, one and seven, two and six, one and seven, one and seven, four and four, two and six, three and five, four and four, two and six, four and four, three and five, six and two, four and four, three and five, four and four, four and four, three and five, three and seven. See, my point is, 
Mike Leach has got a chance to do something that's not done here very often, and that's have one record in the SEC. And this is not even a great Mississippi State team yet. We're getting better. We're getting better, but we got a chance to do something super cool. That's have one record in the SEC. All right, let's do some recruiting talk with Portico. I got, I've told you guys before, Portico, if I was moving to Stargill, it's where I would move. I don't think there's any question. Big fan of Portico. You should go check them out today. Very easy to find. You turn off of 82 onto 12, and the very first ride is Pat Station Road. That takes you across Old West Point Road. And then the next thing there's Portico. 1.1 miles from campus. Very, very easy to find. Easy to get to. Now, you can't move in right now because everything in phase one's already been bought up. However, you can go ahead and pick out your lot and your floor plan, your house plans for phase two, and have some say in your house being built. Been happy to, port- to partner with Portico because Brooks Bryant is a friend of mine. He is a friend of yours. We talk about doing business with Bulldogs. I encourage you to do that at every opportunity. Brooks, a great guy. We'll do a good job for you. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, so let's look at some recruiting stuff. This Sean, Listen, I'm missing the, the Leach press conference because I've had some technical difficulties trying to get all this stuff together for you guys. But uh, So here's the deal. So... Everybody wants to know what's going on with Bryson Hurst, what's going on with Marcus Dortz, that they both decommitted from Ole Miss. Both of those guys have been Mississippi State targets uh, throughout much of their recruitment. So we have not recruited Bryson Hurst much the last few months. We have not. Now, the first thing everybody says, let's get back on him. Well, you know, maybe. Maybe. I think he's a guard at the next level, and I, I really like his game. You know, we had a chance to see him in camp this year. His senior film has not been great. But he is a very raw, physical, athletic guy. There's a lot to like there. But he is a developmental guy, as most offensive linemen guys are. But he is a guy that's going to require a little bit of, uh, you know, attention. It's going to take some time to kind of put things together. Now, I've read some of the spin that's been put out there. It's, oh, they pulled his offer because they got better options. Well, of course, it's what they're going to say. Of course, it's what they're going to say. Yeah, but the truth of the matter is, is Bryson Hurst is not a plug-and-play guy. So it's a high school senior. But I don't think at this point you look at that and say, oh, he's definitely coming to Mississippi State. Now, back in June, he was leaning to Mississippi State in a major way. Came very close to committing. Then somebody said, hey, before you do anything, let's, let's get your mom up here. Then he visits Ole Miss and Mississippi State, commits to Ole Miss, which is not a big surprise to anybody. Disappointment, but not a surprise. So I don't know if State really gets back on him or not. I think some of this probably has to begin with him. I think he has got to kind of reach out to us and say, listen, Hey, coach, I made a mistake or whatever. I think he's got to kind of rekindle the romance because State's on some pretty good offensive line targets now. Percy Lewis, of course, out of Mississippi Gulf Coast. Listen, Charles Cross is projected to be one of the top ten players in the draft. He's coming out. He's coming out. I know how much he loves being a Bulldog, but you don't get an opportunity to do that, make that kind of money and take care of your family and pass on it. You just don't. So anybody expecting him to come back is probably going to be disappointed. So you got to go out and get a guy that can play left tackle. I think that's Percy Lewis. I think it is. I think most people probably would agree with me. That's Percy Lewis. And so if you're able to get him, well, I think that kind of answers a lot of your needs. And you take one more guy from the high school ranks, whether he be a guard or be a tackle, and the Mississippi State offense are almost kind of interchangeable. You want big, long, lean guys that can cover space and allow you to work those longer splits. So, you know, State's been on, you know, Ramsey for a while. And uh, he's a guy, too, that's going to set up an official visit. He'll be here in December. 
And it's, all that's going to happen very, very quickly. I mean, we're, we're 30 days away from the December signing period opening. And so the question kind of becomes now is, do you want to change horses this late in the race? And so, and then Bryson Hurst has already proven you can't, you can't really trust him, right? He comes here in June and it goes, well, you know, Steve, don't be so sensitive. Well, you know, I'd rather know now that I can't trust somebody to what's fourth and goal on the one in Tuscaloosa. You know, and I understand there's a lot of people that pull up these kids and put ideas in your head, and that's the case in this situation, too. And it's interesting to me, too. Oh, Miss Scott gets off and sits the great start on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. You know, they get Marquez Dorch almost immediately after MJ Daniels. And uh, I think MJ Daniels has probably watched more Mississippi State games this year and Ole Miss games, but uh, I digress. But Marquez Dorch is now officially decommitted, too. And, uh, you know, he is a guy – I'm told Auburn is not really pushing him. They're still in contact with him. They're not really pushing him. I understand they like him as a slot receiver and as a, a uh, punt returner. We do, too. But State's been on him a lot harder, and I give Steve Spurrier Jr. a lot of credit for really staying on him and pushing hard. Uh, and I do believe it's a matter of time before Marquez Dortz joins the Mississippi State class. Now, of course, the Ole Miss side of things is going to be, oh, you know, we dropped him. Well, well, you know, no, that's not really the case. And so he committed to you guys as an athlete, and you said, well, we kind of see him as defense. Well, then he decided he didn't want to do that, so he drops you. So if he does not maybe invest himself into your vision for his future – he has the ability to back out of that. And that is exactly what has transpired. Oh, we pulled his offer because he don't want to play corner. No, no, come on. Now, let's be fair. If Lane Kiffin and those guys are telling guys, hey, if you want to play offense, you're better off going somewhere else because we don't see you as a receiver. Hey, good for them. Good for them. That's the right thing to do. Because they've had some coaches there in the past who'll tell kids whatever they need to hear to get them to sign. And the next thing you know, they get them up there and they want to flip them and move them and everything else. And then everybody's miserable. Then the kid wants to transfer. So don't waste everybody's time. So if that's the case, if Lane Kiffin and his staff have told Marquez Dorch, hey, we don't see you as a receiver. If you don't play receiver, go somewhere else. Then good for them. Good for them. But this talk about them dropping Bryson Hurst, I don't believe that for a second. Not for one second. Now, what's going on with Larry Simmons? Because, you know, Ole Miss gets off with such a great start on the coast. You know, you get Dorch right out of the way. Then you get Larry Simmons completely out of left field. Completely out of left field. And I've always learned when those things happen, there's always a little more to it, right? But now Larry Simmons is not on their campus very often either. Marquez Dorch hadn't been up there all year. What is going on? What is going on? A lot of connections between those three. So what's going on? Now, I'm sure that there can be individual explanations, but what do you do when there's connections between all three? What do you do? It's interesting. Now, another thing that I want to share with you guys too, to kind of prepare you ahead of time, there are going to be some, quote, decommitments that involve Mississippi State guys, too. I would be shocked if Jeterius Elam is in the Mississippi State class. like him a lot. He hadn't been around. Not exactly sure what's going to happen with him. I don't think his senior film was very good, and he is an in-state kid, and I hate dropping in-state kids, but he didn't come back to camp. He hadn't worked out. He hadn't been on campus. You know, so it's like, are you really committed? That's a question you got to ask yourself. And so, yeah, there, there are going to be some adjustments in our class, their class, everybody's class. Everybody's going to make some adjustments. So go ahead and get ready because, of course, the first thing people are going to say, oh, well, look, Mississippi State's losing this kid. Now, there's some kids that are fixing to lose Mississippi State. Now, the rest of that story is, is you know, shortly after the Egg Bowl is over, there are going to be some Mississippi State guys going to portal. You can say, well, Steve, who? I'm not going to tell you. It's, it's not 
made for public consumption. But there are some guys that have been here that aren't going to play here. And so they need to get out. It's not a personal issue. It's not. But there are some guys, and they've got to get the net. Because, like, let's say we win the ball game, and then all of a sudden, like, the day after the ball game or that weekend, there's going to be a bunch of names that are announced and are going in the portal. And everybody's not going to be able to enjoy the win. Or if we lose, you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's falling. No. Guys don't want to be a distraction during the season. They don't. They want to go win, but they can't. If they're going to sign with somebody in December and then enroll there in January, they can't afford to wait to, to enter the portal. They have to be able to take some visits. And so go ahead and get ready. I would say as many as a half dozen guys are going to be in the portal shortly after the Egg Bowl. That's going to enable State to, to sign probably four or five more guys, maybe as many as 30 because yeah, the, the, the legislation will be able to use. But there are some guys here that are going to go in the portal. There's a couple guys that I know that have already either are about to earn their degrees or have earned their degrees, and they're looking to go to grad school. And they're not playing much football. So go ahead and be prepared and listen to me, my friends of you that are in the Facebook groups. Listen to me now. When these other people, these chicken littles run and, oh, my gosh, just go ahead and say, you know what, we already knew this was coming. We already knew that there was going to be a handful of guys go in the portal. We already knew that we were going to have a couple guys leave our class because we have way too many DBs committed, and we're fixing to add some more, some older DBs, whether they be JUCO guys or transfer guys. We need an older safety. We need an older corner. And so go ahead and get ready. We're going to make some adjustments to make room for that. And some guys have already kind of adjusted their own way out. So just be prepared. You know, Jordan Thomas is a guy, too, that's been flirting with Tennessee for a while. I could see him actually legitimately flip from here to Tennessee. And you know what? That's okay. Good player. Wish him the best. You know, his friend Colin, we'll see what happens with that. You know, but we've got a lot of DBs committed, and not all these guys on the commitment list that are signed up to be in a secondary are going to be Bulldogs come December 15th. Not going to happen. So go ahead, and I'm just telling you now, so when it happens, you know, you can kind of help – help curtail some of the panic oh my gosh what's happening nothing's happening it's the natural progression of the college football experience for guys that get down the depth chart that's what's happening the transfer portal has become a game changer in that respect and so once the season ends we're going to have some guys go on the portal and don't freak out about it don't i'm just telling you now we're going to sign a good class we've got a chance to have a great close and that's what mississippi state needs to continue to do Continue to play well, win some ball games, and recruit well. Got a chance to do some big things. We'll come back on Wednesday, and we'll talk about some of those things. I got to get out of here. Absolutely do. Thanks so much for your support. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilebook.com and pre-order your book. Hope to have a release date for you guys sooner rather than later. It's like uh, it, it is the most difficult thing that I am dealing with in my life. I worked hard to get it all done by August, and then uh, – we keep hearing all about these supply chain issues and things like that. And, of course, oh, we got COVID. Whatever. Just get it done. I know that you guys want to have this under your tree. And uh, that's why I worked as hard as I did to get it done and in hopes of making that happen. And so I will keep you updated as I learn things. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. 
Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.